say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. You need another Hello everyone and welcome to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo and holy cow, Batman, do we have an amazing show. Alan Weiss is with us. Yes. Yes, I said Alan Weiss, the Alan Weiss, none other, yes, uh, news, media, speaker, million dollar consultant, yes, he is here on A New Direction, and I am telling you what, you are in for a treat. The book is entitled Fearless Leadership. Folks, I've read it twice, I've outlined it, I have taken notes on it, I have written a review about it. It is absolutely one of the most fabulous leadership books, but I'm going to go even further than a leadership book. This this book on fear, I am just telling you, is absolutely amazingly insightful. It's not just insightful, and as I wrote on the Amazon review, this is a book that not just addresses the issue of fear, but it tells you how to eliminate that fear. It's time to get the little guy off your shoulder, as Alan says, and put, you know what? Change the way the little guy is talking to you on your shoulder. It's absolutely brilliant. It's a brilliant book. You're going to love it, and we're going to talk to him in a little bit later. But before we do, let's do what we do every week, and you know what that is, right? We walk you through the four areas of your life. I want you to check in with yourself. What is it? How are things going in your life, right? I believe that we are four-part people. We are physical people, mental people, emotional people, and spiritual people. And I believe that because I believe that all of our areas kind of are all tie in together. And so let's check in with you physically on a scale of one to 10, one being miserable, 10 being outstanding. How are you doing physically? And what I mean by that is, how are you eating right? Are you getting some exercise? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking enough water? How are you doing physically on that scale of one to 10? And then there's two questions we ask in each area. The first question is, why are you that way? And then the second question is, what can you do right now to start changing that? Because as I tell people all the time, and Alan, I think, agrees with me here too, is that, you know what, nothing changes if you don't change something, right? You can't, you can't think your way to physical behavior. You have to actually do something, right? So what do you do physically? So what do you need to change right now physically in your life to get yourself, if you were, say, a five, which is average, what do you need to get to a six, all right? Second area of your life, mentally, right? And and mentally, what I want you to think about is we have two halves of a brain, right? We have a right side of our brain, which is more of a creative side, and we have the left side of our brain, which is more of a logical side. What are you doing to actively feed both sides of your brain, right? And how well are you doing that? Are you reading? You know, a book like Fearless Leadership is a great book to start working on both halves of your brain. Believe it, I'm telling you, it really is. But what are you doing to enhance both sides of your brain? What are, you, what are you working? What are you consuming? How are you actively engaging your brain on a regular basis? And not just the logical side, not just the emotional side, but the, the whole brain. What can you do? And what's that number for you in terms of gaining knowledge, gaining wisdom, gaining understanding, right? Improving your grammar. That could be a great thing too, by the way, right? So how are you doing? What's that number for you? All right. So you got two numbers. You got a physical number, a mental number, and then there's the emotional number. And what I mean by the emotional, I'm just going to oversimplify it, right? On a scale of one to 10, one measurable, 10 outstanding. When I think of emotionally, sometimes in psychology, we, we talk about things like emotional quotients or emotional intelligence. I'm just going to simplify it down to these two things. <clears throat> Under stress, how well are you able to control your emotions? And then number two, how well are you able to understand and tap into the emotions of other people? Those two areas. How well are you doing that? How well are you able to really, really control those emotions? And so much of emotion is intention and practice. And then when it comes to actually tapping into the emotions of other people and understanding that, we have to have an emotional grammar, if you will. Uh, what I find is that so often people don't have the emotional language to be able to describe their emotions well enough that they can actually tap and understand the emotions of others. So maybe part of it for you is working on your emotional language, understanding that uh, not everything is just happy, sad, or angry. <laughs> there are far more words to help describe those, all right? So on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing? And, and, and then where, where are you at with that? And then what are you going to do to change it? And then finally, the fourth area, and it's the spiritual area. And a lot of people don't <clears throat> want to talk about the spiritual area, but you know what? Faith is true. Matter of fact, one of the things that uh, Alan says in his book, he says, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about faith, but yet you'll drive down the highway 
tailgating somebody at 70 miles an hour. <laughs> Tell me you don't have faith. <laughs> it's absolutely true. So the fact of the matter is we all have something that brings us back to center. We believe in something. And if you remove the physical, the mental, the emotional, what is that for you? Maybe it's God. Maybe it's karma. Maybe it's nature. Maybe it's, maybe it's meditation. Something that brings you back to center. Something that brings you back. What is that for you? And, and is it working? Right? And what do you need to do to change it if it's not? And so those are your four areas. You need to think of those four areas as like legs of a chair. And when you think of the legs of a chair, right, if the chair is uneven, right, if each number is that leg of a chair, if it's uneven, it's very difficult on your posture. At the same token, if it's too low, it's also very difficult on yourself to be sitting in such a low chair, right? So what we want to do is we want to bring up all four of those areas in a balanced way. And at the same time, what we want to do is we want to bring that chair to the right height so that we can be the absolute best that we can be. And that brings me to my next guest who I am so stinking excited to have with us because I have been uh, chasing him down for a while and he's finally here. His name is Dr. Alan Weiss and he's one of those rare people who honestly can say he is a consultant, he's a speaker, he's an author and and he means it. His consulting firm is Summit uh, Consulting Group Incorporated. By the way, you can find him at alanweiss.com. That's uh, W-E-I-S-S.com. And he's got all sorts of free stuff. I will also have that on the blog post uh, accompanying this. Uh, anyway, his consulting, uh, Summit Consulting Group Incorporated has attracted clients such as Merck, Hewlett-Packard, GE, Mercedes-Benz, State Street Corporation, Times Mirror Group, the Federal Reserve, uh, the New York Times, and over hundreds of leading organizations. Uh, he has served on board after board. He typically does 30 keynotes a year at major conferences all over the place. He his book has been used in several universities. He's been a visiting faculty member of, of universities like Boston College. His books have been in Wharton College. He's been at the University of Illinois. He has been at, he's done work with the University of Georgia Graduate School of Business. He's held an appointment as an adjunct professor in the Graduate School of Business in the University of Rhode Island. He's taught many, many courses there as well. He holds the record for selling out the highest price workshop on entrepreneurialism in the 21-year history of New York City's learning annex. His PhD is in psychology, uh, and he is a member of, like I am, the member of the Psychological Society, uh, Division 13, and uh, of coaching and consulting. Uh, he's also spoke at the American Psychological Association on a couple of occasions. He was appointed to the Board of Governors of Harvard, Governors of Harvard University Center of Mental Illness and Media. He is keynoted for the American Psychological Association. He is, like me, a member of the National Speakers Association as a professional member, but he is in the Speaking Hall of Fame and concurrent recipient of the National Speakers Association Council of Peers Award of Excellent Rep Excellence, representing the top 1% of professional speakers in the world. He has done over 500 articles. He has written over 60 books. His bestseller was the Million Dollar Consulting, the bestseller, Million Dollar Consulting from McGraw-Hill absolutely fabulous he's got the he's got the toolkit for consulting he is interviewed on probably every american television and radio station anywhere uh he has been to over 60 countries he has been to 49 states although he claims to be afraid of going to north dakota uh, he is the winner of the prestigious axiom award for excellence in audio presentation uh, he's had the Lifetime Achievement Award of American Press Institute, the first ever for a non-journalist in the 60-year history. He has coached former um, Miss America candidates uh, in interviewing skills. And he, by the way, and I had I had to dig for this one, he is he once appeared on Jeopardy, the, one of the most the most uh, popular game shows ever, where he lost badly in the first round to a dancing waiter from Iowa. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and please welcome to New Direction, Dr. Alan Weiss. Uh, Dr. Weiss, welcome to A New Direction. Hi, AJ. I was wondering if I was going to get on there. For now, a while. We, we, you've got so much that people, you know, I, that people just need to know about you because, you know, I, I am a huge fan. I'm, I'm not even going to lie to you. I'm a huge fan of yours. I have been uh, since day one. I have watched you. I have listened to you on numerous occasions. And so I am honored and privileged to have you on the show. But this book is what I really want to talk about 
called Fearless Leadership. And I don't think this was actually the original name of the book when you first decided to write it, but it, because it really is talking about fear in so many different ways. And the secondary title, title Overcoming Reticence, Procrastination, and the Voices of Down Inside Your Head, I think really lends to the larger picture of the book. And so I want to start right away from the introduction of the book. And you say, big time leaders are more afraid of rejection than they are proud of their innovation. They don't fear gambling with the family home, but they do fear their ego being bruised. Let's talk about the ego and the fear of rejection and leadership and why that is the case. Well, for a long time, um, I was wondering why people weren't bolder in doing things like raising fees or dealing with tough situations. And I found it was a self-esteem issue. So I started writing about self-esteem and studying self-esteem more. And then I asked myself, well, you know, you can you can help people raise their self-esteem to a certain extent. But why do so many people have problems? And then I discovered it was because of fear. And the, the largest fear, although there are many legitimate ones and a whole lot more illegitimate ones, the largest fear is is damage to one's ego. And so instead of it being packed down in the hold of the ship where it's safe, they put it out there in the bow where it's hit by the wind and the waves and everything else. Uh, and people fear that they'll be criticized. They fear that they will make a mistake. They fear that will be they'll be seen as an imposter. Uh, and so that's the that's the origin. So. You, when you start, when we dig into start chapter one, you, which is entitled Real Fear and Fraudulent Fear, and you start off with the Tyrannosaurus Rex and the Tyrant, and you, you, you mentioned that the success rate of predators was basically one in 10, right? So why is it that we want to focus so hard on the the one the ten percent or the smaller percentage rather than really focusing on the other ninety percent or greater of what not to be afraid of the the success that we can have. Well, that's not the point in those statistics. The point of the statistics was that uh, through through history, a predator is only successful ten percent of the time. So whether it's a T Rex or it's a modern cheetah, they have to try ten times before they can bring lunch home to their kids. Uh, what I'm saying though is since we're sentient people, we're we're sentient creatures, we're self-aware, the 10% is not good enough, Uh, you know, we can can achieve a much higher average, but what holds us back uh, isn't so much uh, difficulty hunting prey, in this case, being successful at business, what holds us back is our own fearfulness, and we're afraid of things we shouldn't be afraid of, you know, for example, the the myth of that people are afraid to address, uh, uh, to speak publicly, or people are afraid to speak up at a meeting, uh, or people, you know, have writer's block, which is completely mythological. And so we have these these ridiculous fears and we begin to fear fear itself, which is a phobia. And that, that's what holds us back. So let's let's talk about let's talk about this fear, because traditionally, as you've talked about and as I've taught in psychology classes, too, is we've always talked about fight and fight and flight. But the truth of the matter is there's really a third option here and that we don't really spend a lot of talking about in psychology up until more recently, I think. And that is that it's not just fight and flight, but there's also there's this paralysis uh, piece that you refer to, I think, as fright in, in your book. So let's talk about leadership paralysis. What does that look like? What th- might that look like? And And then what can we kind of do about that? Well, the metaphor, you know, I use in the book is that, you know, a deer is stuck in the headlights and it's not going to fight. It doesn't even know what it's facing and it's not capable of fighting anyway. Uh, and it doesn't flee. There's no flight because it's frightened. It's too frightened to move. And ultimately, that deer usually dies. Well, the same thing occurs in business when you're faced with a bad media response. You're faced with unhappy investors. You're, sp- you're faced with employees who are unhappy or customers who are unhappy or tough challenges and so forth. And we get frightened and don't make any decision. And so a hard and fast example is I've helped countless executives by telling them to fire someone. There's somebody who's barricaded in a bunker. There's somebody who's giving them all kinds of problems politically or undermining their authority or or not conforming. You know, they're passive aggressive. And I say, just fire them because you're doing them a favor. Mm -hmm. Right now, they feel like pariahs. Get them out of here. Give them a decent severance and let them regain their self-respect. And you stop worrying. Uh, And that's the deer caught in the headlights. You have to do something about it. Uh, The same thing, you know, you walk on a stage, the notion that that audience, 95% of the audience, which is healthy at least, is going to go home and say, what a great morning. I saw a speaker self-destruct and I added to it by heckling, (laughs) 
is absurd. The audience wants to go home or back to work and say, I saw a great speaker and he or she really improved my ability to deal with difficult situations. But we don't look at these things pragmatically. We look at them through these fearful glasses and scare ourselves to death. We're talking with Alan Weiss, and his book is entitled Fearless Leadership. It's available Amazon bookstores everywhere, by the way. Uh, it's uh, it's brought to you by Rutledge, and it's absolutely a fabulous read. I highly, highly, highly recommend that you pick this book up. And I don't care who you are, by the way. I do not care if you are in active leadership. I don't care if you're aspiring to be a leader. I don't care what it is. I don't care who you are. This book is absolutely a wealth of information. It will challenge you. It will affect you in a way that will make you better in everything that you do. So check it out. Again, it's called Fearless Leadership, and it's just available everywhere. And he's joining us here in A New Direction. So let's talk about some appropriate actions. You have appropriate actions begin with rational beliefs. And one of the things you say is our belief system determines our attitudes, which in turn manifest in our behavior. To be fearless in leadership means we need to correct the correct set of beliefs and the empirical evidence to support them. And then you give an example here. You say unhappy employees are, we have this idea that unhappy employees are motivated by money. But what you've learned over time is that all you have is just wealthier, unhappy employees. Let's talk about these appropriate actions begin with rational beliefs. What are you really digging into here? Well, you have to find out what the real case is uh, before you take action. You know, logic makes you think and emotion makes you act. And too, too frequently, we jump to the emotional part. Mm. You know, if you look at the literature over the past decade or you actually uh, are uh, look in, into company activities, as I do as a consultant, as you observe them, you find that what employees really prize is agency, autonomy, recognition for their talent and some freedom of action none of which costs money, none of which requires additional pay. And that's what organizations have to provide for them, which, by the way, makes the organization a hell of a lot more productive anyway. Mm. And so we have to pay attention to things like that. We have to recognize them. We have to act appropriately. Uh, but too often we don't. Uh, right now we're seeing generalized panic over this coronavirus illness. And it's not that coronavirus is not something to be taking seriously and prudently, but uh, the overreaction, the, the economic devastation from the fear is far worse than the medical uh, right. problems the disease is causing. And we're, we're living through that right now. Yeah, I totally, totally, totally agree with you. So one of the things that you mentioned is you say, you ask a question, you say, why is it that leaders feel threatened, frightened, and fearful? And you give four things. You talk about ego sensitivity, ambiguity, lack of proportion, poor and low self-esteem. And we've already dealt with the poor, low self-esteem with at least a bit. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But talk about ego sensitivity. Why Why is ego such a big deal still? I mean, right? I mean, we go back to Freud and we talk about ego, but why is it still, why is ego still such a big deal? Well, people's egos represent their self-identity. They represent their self-worth. Uh, and people need to maintain that uh, almost at all costs. You know, most anger that you see expressed at home or in the workplace is self-anger. And we redirect it outward so as not to destroy, you know, our psyches, not to destroy our, our image of ourselves. So we direct the anger outward, even though we're really mad at ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's why that anger can seldom be diffused, because we have to diffuse it ourselves. Somebody else can't do it. Right. So our egos are very delicate if we're insecure. And uh, a lot of people are resilient and uh, they, they snap back from a setback or a failure and they say, I just learned something new. But some people uh, have no resilience and their ego is moment to moment. You know, for example, if, if you are rejected by a buyer, if you're selling something and the buyer rejects you, the fact of the matter is at that point in time, on that date, in this place, by that person, a sale was not made. It doesn't make you a lousy marketer. It doesn't make you a poor human being. It just means a sale wasn't made. You know, I've published 60 some of my books were in 15 languages. Uh, some of my books were rejected and then accepted by others. Mm. Some of my books that I thought were really good ideas were rejected, period. Others were accepted. I was surprised they were accepted so fast, just on the basis of a table of contents. And I'm convinced that a lot of this is the mood of the acquisitions editor at that particular time. Did they have a fight with their spouse? Did they get traffic in the morning? Are they in a good mood because they're meeting their quota? And that determines whether my proposal was accepted. But that has no reflection on me as a human being. Right. And so we have to understand that successes and failures 
do not reflect our self-worth. And self-worth is very important. You know, efficacy means you're good at what you do, but self-worth means that you're valuable whether you're succeeding or not at that moment. We're talking with Dr. Alan Weiss, uh, author of the book, Fearless Leadership, and he's joining us here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, did you know that A New Direction has a brand new sponsor? It's Epic Physical Therapy, and whether you're recovering from an injury or surgery or suffering everyday aches and pains, maybe you're just having difficulty performing activities of daily living, or you're an athlete and you just cannot perform at your peak athletic ability, or maybe just looking to improve how you feel and move. Well, look, the elite team at Epic Physical Therapy will provide you with a customized treatment plan tailored to your individual needs. With their experience in rehabbing young athletes to elite professionals, they understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. If you're looking for epic relief, epic recovery, and epic results, you need to look no further than going to Epic Physical Therapy. And you can learn more by going to EpicPT.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, it doesn't matter where you're at in this world, Linda Craft and her team can help you find the right home in the right place regardless where you're at because they have a network of people that they have developed over the course of 35 years. They are the leaders. They are known as the legends of customer service. And that's not just a, that's not just something that's said. That's just that is actually what they do. They Linda built this team uh, 35 years ago developing one relationship at a time and she continues to do that with her team to this day. So why not contact the legends of customer service? Why not contact Linda Craft and team? And you can do that by going to lindacraft.com that's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here with Alan Weiss and his outstanding book, The Fearless Leadership, and we're working our way through it. And by the way, uh, it's available at Amazon, Barnes Noble, bookstores everywhere. If they don't have it, tell them to get it on the shelf. There's no reason why they shouldn't have this uh, book on their shelves. It should be there and it should be facing out. So make sure that they're doing that and get the book. You, you talk about... Uh, there's two things that you talk about the worst led companies and the best led companies. And, and one of the things you say is the worst led companies in the world are those which promote executives to top positions because those people have never taken risks, been in trouble or sparked controversy. <laughs> and then you say the best led companies are those with innovative, resilient people promoted to top spots. Talk about, talk about that, that kind of yin and yang when it comes to worst led and best led companies when it comes to leadership. Well, you know, you don't see uh, you don't see um, strong leaders with anybody beneath them, but strong people. And you see weak leaders with weak people beneath them. You're not going to see weak leaders with strong people following them. Uh, it doesn't work that way. And uh, a lot of people spend their career staying off the radar screen. They avoid conflict. They avoid controversy. They avoid avoid any kind of tension. Uh, and they think if they just you know sort of stay under the table with their phone disconnected, they'll be fine. And those are the people who often wind up in key positions because they don't have any black marks against their name. But, you know, I was talking to a colleague of mine who also writes some very provocative books, and we both agreed that unless we are ticking someone off every day, we're simply not doing our jobs. <laughs> okay, you got you to gotta go. You got to go dig into that. I've got people who are live going, whoa, 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 what do you mean we got to tick somebody off every day? Go ahead and expand on that a little bit. Well, I put out contrarian and provocative advice to people, you know, True. I tell people that HR doesn't stand for human resources. It stands for hardly relevant. <laughs> and you, you, you have to take positions, uh, whether they're popular or not. You see, my intent is not to be liked. My right. intent is to be respected. Sure. Uh, my intent is, is not to be uh, warm and fuzzy. My intent is to improve people's lives and improve their businesses. And you have to do that through some some tough love, through some healthy confrontation. You have to challenge the shibboleths, you have to challenge the myths, and you have to point out to people that a lot of what they believe just isn't true. And in doing that, you serve, you're, you're providing them a great service. You know, I, I, <coughs> you talk a little bit, uh, actually, yeah, a little bit about Jack Welsh in the book. And I believe it's somebody that you respected greatly, and we just lost him here uh, recently. And, um, <coughs> you know, I certainly send my condolences to his family. But Jack Welsh... Uh, seems to be one of those people that when he was with GE actually was one of those people who really didn't care, as you said, didn't care so much about being liked. He had a high demand that his companies were going to be number one or number two, or he was going to sell them. 
Well, he changed, though. I mean, he was Neutron Jack originally, which meant the buildings remained standing, but the people were gone. But he reached an epiphany in his career, and he changed his mind about that. And what he said instead was that all of his top managers had to fire the lowest, the poorest performers in their business. And they had to religiously and ruthlessly follow the uh, fire, the poorest performers. That's not actually bad advice, is it? No. I mean, I, I tell my entrepreneurial clients they should get rid of their uh, poorest paying customers uh, by 10 or 15 percent, you know, every 18 months or so. So so Welsh changed his mind. And I'll tell you something, you know, I mean, I used to be at Crotonville which is a training headquarters on occasion, working on a project, and he'd be there in something, I think they called it the pit, and it was an amphitheater, and he'd be down there, and the managers who were there for training that week would shout questions down to him, and he'd handle every one like a gladiator in the, in the Roman Colosseum. And I respected that. He was available, he was vulnerable, uh, and there were no, nobody was in between. There were no middlemen. So, you know, Welsh did a great job. And, and uh, I look at him as one of the, the finest corporate leaders. You know, you know, now people want to debunk him because when somebody dies, they can't defend themselves. But, you know, I, I think that, uh, that Welsh was a terrific corporate leader, you know, much, much more than a guy like, say, Elon Musk today. There's just no comparison. Mm. Yeah, you, you make that point very, very clear. And by the way, I do want to commend you because you have said some things that have uh, certainly challenged the status quo. You've said some things, matter of fact, that have sparked even Seth Godin to, uh, you know, get off his chair and yell at you a little bit with regard to your feelings of social media and consulting. And I, I, I don't understand why they're up in arms about it, but that's a conversation. But I, but I admire you for doing that. And, uh, I think more of us need to do that as well. Um, let's talk about fear as a learned behavior, because I think there is, like you, I think that people have an erroneous belief that uh, fear is hardwired in us. Dispel that fear, and why is it learned? Well, people still think we operate on the basis of a reptilian brain or the amygdala or whatever they think that, you know, like the cavemen, uh, we either had to kill an animal to eat or we had to run from an animal that was trying to eat us. And I'm sure that was true back then, and there might be some remnants of that around. But as I said earlier, we're sentient beings. Right. Uh, you know, and, and the fact is that um, there's, there's no need for us uh, to think that way today. Uh, and we tend to start fearing fear. Uh, but there's nobody hunting us and there's, there's no predator at the window. You know, I tell people all the time that you can't walk in. You don't walk into a buyer's office and lose money. I mean, no buyer ever stole money from you. You might not get the sale, but you won't lose money. Uh, and you're not going to get shot. You know, my father <laughs> fought in World War Two. People shot at him. Nobody's shooting at us. Right. And, and so we have to put fear into proportion. And there are there are legitimate fears. A, a tornado is sweeping down the neighborhood. Uh, you see a guy with a gun. Uh, a bear comes out of the woods and salivates and starts heading for you. Legitimate fear. Get the hell out of there. Protect yourself. But there are a lot of illegitimate fears like being afraid to speak or write uh, like being afraid to uh, to oppose a point of view, right. uh, like being afraid to be honest about your emotions. Uh, and we have to overcome that. We also tend to develop these stupid phobias where, you know, one tenth of one percent of spiders in the world might be harmful. You know, so we see a we see a black widow spider. And now all of a sudden we feel every spider is harmful and we become afraid of these insects, which really do great benefit to the ecosystem. Right. Or, you know, 10 percent of all the snakes in the world might be toxic. Uh, but we get we're afraid of every snake, including garden snakes, and we see them all as you know vile and evil and scary. Well, the the analogy is for those snakes and spiders, people we meet and business we do and situations we're in, and we have to get rid of those phobias. So how do what you talk about asking yourself some questions when you feel fearful in the business setting? Can you give us some ideas of maybe how people can you know overcome? What should they be doing to try to overcome these fears? Ask yourself why you feel that way. Ask yourself, what is your reason for feeling that way? A lot of times, you know, it's because of something you were told as a kid that is baggage that's no longer needed, no longer accurate, you know? I mean, what happens is uh, you're, you make a mistake on the ball field as a kid and your parents, instead of saying, it was a tough play, no one could have done that, say, hey, you're awfully um, awkward out there. Right. And so you see yourself forever afterward as an awkward person. And so you don't undertake some things. You don't learn to dance. You don't learn to swim. Uh, you don't engage in certain activities because you still see yourself as awkward. Uh, and, and this is a much greater problem than people might suspect because a lot of it 
you know, I just articulated it, but a lot of people can't even articulate it. And, you know, I'll mention something uh, along these lines, which is you should you should narrow the negative. In other words, it was a tough play. It would have been tough for anyone. But you should generalize the positive. So somebody brings home, uh, you know, a a, a good good history test. Uh, You don't say, hey, you got lucky on that test. You say you're turning into quite a scholar. So you want to generalize the positives. You want to narrow the negatives. And we often do just the opposite. This, this leads us right to the next part, and that's the little guy on our shoulder. We have this little guy who speaks all sorts of things into our ear, and he tells us all sorts of bad things about ourselves, like we can't do it, or I'm unable, or you're not good enough, or you're not smart enough, or it'll never work. It's going to be a fail. Well, who is this little guy, and what do we need to do to flick him off our shoulder? Well, he is a guy all the time. I'm not trying to be sexist, and he is the representation of all the negatives we've been told and have chosen to retain in our lives. And this is the person who fosters the imposter syndrome. And so you hear this voice telling you, you can't do that. And if you do it, then you're told you got lucky. Don't try to do that again. And so what I say in the book is you've got to flick this negative guy off your shoulder and then step on him till he bleeds out. (laughs) That's the way to get rid of him. And you do this by showing that empirically, you are successful and you have contributed and you are getting ahead. And then you replace them with a different guy on your shoulder who keeps telling you, you can do this. You've done it before. You can do it again. And one of the practices I recommend in the book is that every evening before you go to sleep, you simply take 60 seconds and remind yourself of two or three successes you had that day. They could be personal or professional. They could be minor or major. It doesn't matter. Just remind yourself of three successes. When you get up in the morning, when you're brushing your teeth, whatever you're doing, remind yourself of three positive things you want to do that way, that day. Personally and professionally, just three positive things you'll do. And that will get you in a certain routine of creating the positive guy on your shoulder. I love that. I, I have to tell you that I people do not really pay attention, I think, to the fact that there are the voices in their head that are telling them all sorts of things that are keeping them from being as successful as they possibly could be. And, and it's, and they're just not real. The, the voices are just not real. And what I love about this book uh, that you've written here, Fearless Leadership, is that not only do you just address so many of these issues that we know, but we don't talk about very much, but you also give answers to how this is how you deal with it. I think this is what makes, you know, your books so, uh, and, and I'm not trying to, to placate you here in any way. I'm just being honest when I say that this is what makes your books So I, I think so valuable is because these are practical, applicable ways for people to deal with the stuff that we don't, we don't want to talk about or we don't want to deal with. And I think that's what makes Fearless Leadership uh, such a really great book. And by the way, uh, people, I'm just going to tell you this. The book is not, uh, it, this isn't like a 300-page read, okay? I mean, you can, you, you can sit down and you can read this book and you can use it as a reference guide. It is just so good. Um, like I said, I read it twice and then I took notes on it after I highlighted the heck out of it. It, it is just... Uh, an amazingly well done book, and I, I just want to commend you, Alan, for doing it because it's it's it really is good. It really really Thanks. is. So let's talk about norms and beliefs. I don't think that um, we have a pretty very good handle on norms and beliefs. Uh, you talk about normative pressure, and and um, beliefs, and so let's let's help us decipher what's the difference between norm and a belief, and how does that play a role in in our fear and leadership. Well, norms are, you know, social pressures that are brought, uh, sometimes deliberately, sometimes accidentally, where you tend to conform uh, because others are. Beliefs are things that are values you hold that guide your behavior. So these are two different pressures on your behavior. I'll give you an example. A, a perfectly upright citizen who whose beliefs are that you obey the law and you act ethically uh, finds him or herself in the midst of a riot and uh, goes into a store and steals something. Now, they normally would say that's a terrible act that should never be done, but everyone around them, all of their peers are doing the same, and they're drawn up in that. So that's what I call a threshold experience, and that is the normative pressure has crossed the threshold 
overcoming one's personal belief system. You can see the same thing in a military unit where a brave soldier who would stay and fight sees all of his colleagues or her colleagues get up and run and that person gets up and runs too, even though they believe they shouldn't do that, everybody around them is. Or conversely, somebody whose belief system says it's time to run, we're outnumbered, doesn't run because everybody around them is holding fast. So that's the relationship between normative pressure and beliefs. And sometimes because of this threshold principle, normative pressure overcomes what your actual closely held value system is. So what's your what's your recommendation to leaders when it comes to norms what do you and beliefs? What do you recommend leaders to do? Well, co-opt the situation. Create norms in your company that are positive ones for your strategy and positive ones for company growth. And so, for example, uh, don't create a norm. Don't allow a norm to take place that says management doesn't care about us. Uh, they schedule us without thinking much about our families or our lives. Instead, uh, create a system where employees can schedule their own time, uh, showing that they can make decisions about their own families and lives. This is the agency mm-hmm. I spoke of earlier that's important to employees. And so you can actually create norms or co-opt them, as I'm, as I'm saying, that support the direction you want to go in. Uh, but understand that normative behavior is, is like a contagion, and it's very tough to resist once you let it form. Uh, and that's why riots and things like this take place. It's why almost indefensible actions sometimes take place. And so the idea is to head it off before it occurs. Some norm of depression is very positive. Uh, let's give to this cause. Let's support this crusade. Right. Uh, you know, let's help our, our colleagues. Those are positive norm, uh, normative pressures, but they're not always positive. Yeah, it's 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 so true. We are such, uh, you know, we're just, we just do so much groupthink. It really is crazy how much groupthink we actually do. And then we do group groupthink actions, you know, right? We we just all of a sudden we're just so sheep. I call us sheeple uh, because I feel like we're so easy to be just herded. Uh, if it, depending on what the thing is, we're just we'll just go with the herd. And it drives me it drives me up a wall. Um, I, it just does because I'm like going, we can fight this if we really want to. In chapter three, uh, your chapter is entitled Manifestations of Fear. And one of the manifestations that you talk about that I really think that people want to hear about is passive aggressive behaviors as a uh, manifestation of fear. So how is being passive aggressive a manifestation of fear? What do those people look like? And then what do we what do we do about them? Well, I consider passive aggressive behavior one of the worst kinds of personality disorders. Amen. I mean, I don't know. <clears throat> you know, psychologically or medically, how they include it today, but I consider it a personality disorder. I agree. And a passive aggressive is someone who procrastinates, who gives you lip service, but who really doesn't support you. So an example is we had a tremendously passive aggressive woman um, uh, in my kid's school or one of the parents. And when she was told that somebody got into Syracuse University, for example, she would say, oh, congratulations. Is that their backup school? <laughs> uh, you know, t- very passive aggressive. Uh, somebody else would say, hey, I heard good things about your meeting, and uh, no one pointed out that you were arrogant or, or um, you know, obnoxious, <laughs> passive-aggressive. Hmm. Uh, and so the way you deal with passive-aggressives is if you simply confront them, because if, you're, if, if you don't do anything, you enable them. And so you say, why would you say something so hurtful? And they would say, I didn't mean to be hurtful, and you say, of course you did. We all know that. Hmm. So stop it. Don't ever do it again. Uh, now, th- that's a, a manifestation of fear. These passive-aggressive people are very afraid. And so being so afraid, they try to denigrate others, and they try to do it continually. It's not unlike a bully. Uh, A bully is really a very fearful person who tries to bring others down to his or her level of inferiority complex. Mm -hmm. And by the way, most bullies were abused as children in one way or another, according to the research. Uh, Passive aggressors are the same way. They're trying to bring you down to a level of their own inferiority, uh, and they try to do it in a way that's not obvious. That's why it's called passive-aggressive. And it's, it's a very disturbing, very, very unhealthy kind of relationship, and you've got to abandon them. I also write in the book, you know, I'm sure you, you notice this, that you have to check yourself for being uh-huh. passive-aggressive, and I give a little test to see if you've actually done that. Yeah, I mean, you do, and you say, are you passive-aggressive at times test is what you call it. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to share a couple of these. You say, do you give people the silent treatment when you're upset with or angry at them is one of the questions that you ask. And then you, you go on to say, do you subvert other otherwise meaningful and sophisticated conversation with sarcasm and derail the discussion? 
Uh, do you become depressed and withdraw when you are unhappy with someone rather than confront them with honest conversation? And then you list a couple others. These are great questions, Alan, that I think we have to be honest with. And this is my fear is, are we really being honest with ourselves when it comes to some of these fearful behaviors? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Can you say that again? Yeah. So are we, I think sometimes we put ourselves in denial is basically what I'm saying is that when it comes to being like, for instance, passive aggressive or pass, you know, we're, you know, we're procrastinators or whatever it may be that we will go into denial and go, well, no, that's not me. That that's no, 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 no. So you, there has to be some level of true honesty here that you have to admit to yourself. And I think you also ask that question of the reader. Well, it's tough to be honest with yourself. I mean, it's easier said than done. Right. Uh, I think the key here is you have to be vulnerable enough to allow others to give you feedback. Uh, you're only going to learn by others telling you what they're observing, what they're hearing, what they're seeing. It's very tough to self-analyze. I mean, it's very tough even to self-edit. Uh, when you, um, <laughs> when if you're looking at something you wrote yourself, it's tough to to edit it because it's your own words and it's tough to see the mistakes. So what you need is an outside editor, and what you need here is an outside observer to give you that feedback. Yeah, and you know, I think one of the things that you talk about, and you talk about this frequently, actually, is you know, don't be afraid to hire a coach. Uh, you know, because coaches can actually help do wonders for you. I mean, you're, of course, you know, the uh, rock star coach uh, of the world. And I know that there's other coaches out there, such as myself, that that do work with individuals on different levels. But the coaching piece is absolutely critical. And you don't need to be ashamed. It's not a sign of weakness. As you point out, coaching is not a sign of weakness. Well, that's right. And I, I believe that people need coaches, but they need coaches who have shown that they can do what they want to do, not somebody who's just blowing smoke. Right. Or, you know, you don't you don't hire a ski coach who sits in the chalet and has brandy and tells you what to do on top of the mountain. You hire a coach who goes up there with you and skis six yards ahead of you and shows you what to do. Right. Absolutely. No, no, no question about that. What is can't pull the trigger syndrome? Well, th this is a form of procrastination and procrastination is based in fear. Uh, procrastination is you have a greater fear of doing something and being critiqued than you have a fear of being critiqued for simply not doing it at all. And so uh, people who procrastinate, I simply say, can't pull the trigger. And um, it, it's very frequent. It's very co common. Uh, but it's one fear being greater than another fear. I love it. We're with Dr. Alan Weiss and his book, Fearless Leadership, here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, New Direction has a couple sponsors, by the way, One, and the most recent is Epic Physical Therapy. Did you know that their facility offers the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment, including the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill, the Normatech compression sleeves, and Game Ready, just to name a few? Hey, they are trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available, including blood flow restriction therapy dry needling, which is absolutely outstanding. I get it done myself. And cupping. If you've ever seen the Olympic swimmers with those little circles on their back and you wonder what in the world, well, that's called cupping. They're manipulating the muscle through the skin. And it's just a few of the things they do. Look, learn. you can learn how they can make you more epic. They will give you that epic relief, that epic recovery, those epic results just by going to Epic Physical Therapy. Just go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Crafted Team Realtors, doesn't matter where you're at in the world, they are located in the Research Triangle Park of Raleigh-Durham Chapel Hill, and they have been there for 35 years and known as the legends of customer service when it comes to real estate. You know, if you walk through the doors at 7300 Six Forks Road there in Raleigh, what I can promise you that they will do is they will hand you a bottle of water. I am not making that up. They're going to hand you a bottle of water because they want to get to know you. They understand that your home is more than likely the largest single personal purchase that you will probably make in a lifetime. And they want to get to know what you want, what you need, and what you're looking for in every aspect of that home because they understand that homes are where memories are made and where families are grown. And they want to be a part of that with you. So why not learn more? And why not learn to learn about the folks who come from Linda Craft and team and why they are known as the legends of customer service? You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. 
And we're back here on A New Direction with Alan Weiss and his book, Fearless Leadership. Uh, absolutely outstanding. Available at Amazon, where books are sold everywhere. The book is absolutely one of, I, I just think it is the, I think it is the best leadership book on the market right now. And folks, I read a book a week and for this show, and I have read a lot of leadership books. I am just telling you, I am convinced that this book is a must-have in your arsenal, in your tool chest, when it comes to fear and also when it comes to leadership. It is going to challenge you. It is going to provoke you to think in different ways. At times, it may even make you mad, but what it's going to do is if you will follow the advice that Alan Weiss gives you in this book, let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to get change. And there is so much life change from this book. And I promise you that uh, you will not be disappointed. So make sure you grab yourself a copy of uh, Fearless Leadership. Um, absolutely fabulous, fabulous book. By the way, it's it's available on Amazon in several different ways. And uh, by the way, check out his other books too as well. I mean, there's 60 of them out there plus that you can get on Audible versions and Kindle versions. And uh, just, just check them out because they're all really, really good. He's... He's an amazing author, and I've enjoyed everything that I've read or listened to by him. And and that's just being that's just the honest truth. So uh, so Alan, let's talk about erasing the past fears. And okay. uh, Jay, I have five minutes before I have to go to my next. Oh interview. I want to know. oh really? Okay. Yes. Oh, I Sorry. didn't realize that. Oh, they didn't they didn't tell me. That's okay. So let's do this then. Uh, since we only got five minutes, then I didn't realize that. So let's do let's do this. Let's then jump right to the very end and let's just spend just a few minutes here if you would be willing to um, do that is let's, let's just spend a few minutes on how Alan Weiss would help somebody walk through uh, fearless leadership what I generally say is the show's called a new direction we try to help people find a new direction and success and leadership into life career and business so what would Alan we say in regards to uh, leadership and success based on his book, Fearless Leadership? Well, I'd say the following. I mean, that, that uh, uh, leadership is uh, is learnable, that uh, you don't have to be born with a certain affinity. There are learnable skills. Uh, I think success is different for, for everyone. Uh, life is not a search for meaning. Life's about the creation of meaning. Uh, and I think that the true leaders today uh, are leaders who say, follow me and don't say, you go ahead, I'll meet you there. <laughs> I, I'll, give you, I'll give you one example in conclusion here that I, I think sums that up. In the Civil War, uh, the highest fatality among officers was among brigadier generals, one-star generals. And that is because they led brigades and they would get on a horse and their men were on foot. And on this horse, they'd say, follow me. And they'd start marching across a meadow and of course, being on the horse, they were the target of all the sharpshooters. And the foot soldiers said, well, if he can get up on that horse and go forward, so can we. Hmm. And when, when that general might have been shot, which is often the case, uh, they rallied in his name and in his memory and on they went. Uh, so today you still have to lead from the front. You still have to get on your horse and you still have to say, follow me. And you cannot say, you know, most generals today in the army are back in some safe areas in a bunker directing things, you know, via computers. Uh, today, as a, as a business leader, you still have to say, listen, I'm on my horse. Follow me. I love I love that. You know, you have been you've been a very gracious guest. and I just want to thank you so much for doing that. I, I, I love your quote on on page 82 of the book. You said there's no perfect leadership style. I've never found one. <laughs> right. And and I, I, I love that about you. And I love the fact that you're always honest and you're always upfront. You are. It is true. Uh, you are not here to be liked. And by the way, leadership isn't about to be liked. It is about to be respect. It's about being respected. And so I appreciate you uh, being on the show. And I want to just thank you um, for your graciousness and um, and spending some time with us today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Jay. It's been my pleasure. I, I apologize for the uh, the fact you didn't know this had to end at a certain time. But uh, the, the book's very popular. And I think they just piled a lot of interviews you know, <laughs> no worries. but thank you for taking all the time you have with me no it's my pleasure and uh maybe we can do this again with another book i would love to do that and that'd be a pleasure you have a great day all right you too thanks a lot alan appreciate it thank you take care you too 
And that was Dr. Alan Weiss and uh, here with us in his book, Fearless Leadership. He's absolutely outstanding. And you know what I tell you folks, be inspired because when you're inspired, that can inspire other people. And when they're inspired, that in turn means that they can inspire others as well. We're going to be back here next week with another great guest and another great book. And we're going to be insightful and we're going to find you a new direction because that's what we do here is we try to help people find a new direction in their in, successfully in their success, leadership, life, career, businesses. And we love doing that for you. I want to thank you before I go off the air here. I want to thank everybody for around the world for listening to the show. I, I can't say enough to France and the UK and India and Australia and Israel and um all the countries that we are now in all over the world. I want to just thank you so much for listening to the show wherever you are at in this world. Thank you. I am very grateful for that. And I also want to thank everybody in the United States. I am still missing a couple states though. So if you live in the states of Alabama, Missouri, uh, North Dakota and uh, South Dakota, I, I need you. So if you know somebody, and and also New Mexico, so if you know somebody in those states, tell them that we're looking for listeners from those states too, uh, to fill us out. That would be fantastic. We'd love to, for you to share our show. That's our show, folks, and I thank you so much every week. I am grateful that I get to do what I do every week because I never dreamed that I would be able to do this, but I am fulfilling something that is much deeper than I can ever express in words. So I thank all of you very much. Tell your friends, jump and listen. And as I say every week, and you know what that is, ciao, everybody. And the answers don't make sense Got to keep your hope alive Got to know you can survive This is your Find your